It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Gabe DeArmond and Brian Austin here. We're going to talk some SEC football in a few minutes because camp opens for pretty much everyone in about two weeks, but we're going to start talking uh, high school and high school basketball or AAU basketball and college basketball recruiting. We got Corey Frazier, who is the head coach for Bradley Beal Elite's 17 and under team, which uh, just made the semifinals of the Peach Jam last weekend. And, and coach, first off, thanks for joining us. And second of all, uh, pretty good week for you guys down there. Oh yeah, it was, it was a blast, man. I, that was probably one um of my most fun experiences i've had in coaching aau ball i would say coaching period but um you know it, it, those kids man they played their heart out and and, and represent the state of missouri very well and i kind of wanted to ask you about that i mean uh two years ago uh brad beal at that point st louis eagles i, I think made the finals yeah. uh last mm-hmm. year mocan won it and this right. year you guys make the semifinals uh there are some decent high school basketball players in this state I think it's it might be beyond decent right now. I think that um, the state has a lot of uh, quality players now. It's just a matter of them being seen on, on that level and on that circuit. Um, and everybody don't get chances to see that. But now I think, you know, people are starting to see, okay, the state of Missouri and even in the southern, I mean, in the um, you know, Metro East, have a lot of quality players coming through. So we're, we're no longer a, a um, uh, secret. I think it's, the yeah. secret is out now. You better get your butt over in Missouri and the Metro East if you want to find some players. So we do have players here who can play at a high level. And that, Coach, this is Brian Austin. Uh, first off, thanks for joining us again, like Gabe said. And oh, no how, problem. How you doing today? <laughs> Man, I'm good. I'm actually in the gym right now. Um, Jericho is in the other room uh, lifting weights. So we're going to agree to come in here and get some shots up in a few. Gotcha. Just that semifinal game, I know you guys had kind of a lead going down the stretch there. T- take us back, I guess, through that and kind of what you were seeing happening with your players on the court and kind of what you're doing to get them to, to hold on to that thing. Um, I, I would say, for the most part, uh, playing an environment like that is, is not even close to – it's not even a reciprocal of, of your normal high school basketball mm-hmm. environment because – of, of where you're playing. There's, there's people coming to follow you just because you won games and you become a, a fan favorite um, being the underdog because we won the most talked about team that mm-hmm. was there. Even though we had some players that were really good, we just wasn't the, the, the team that everybody had picked. So we were playing the underdog role to be there to, to begin with. Right. Um, most importantly, our kids um, started playing at a high level just because of that. Defensively, we were we – were, um, Probably, probably one of the best defensive teams, if not the best defensive team that was down. We was winning about a margin of about 16 points a game. Um, going down that stretch you know, of playing those six games through pool or what have you, mm-hmm. um, you know, people thought we were winning easily. No, we battled through every game, through every adversity to get there. Um, and then coming down the stretch in the last four minutes uh, of that semifinal game, it was just one of those moments in basketball where if you haven't been in that situation before – you don't know how to handle that situation. And being that all these kids are, are the best players on their teams, never really had to go through that because I'm sure mm-hmm. they were winning most of those handedly when it comes out, even if a team didn't make a run like that. But our kids, you know, they, they gave it everything they had. But just that, that moment when the momentum shift, 
somebody on the court has got to step up and, and we as coaches have got to find or point that person or try our best to keep the wheels on before they fall off. And, you know, it did. But the most important thing for us is we got what we wanted to, and that's all of our kids are getting scholarship opportunities right. and offers to go to, to some schools that they want to go to. So in my eyes and, and in the eyes of many others that was with us on that trip, we won. Speaking of kids stepping up, you mentioned Jericho, and uh, for anybody listening to this who doesn't recognize that name, I'm not sure why after last week, but Jericho <laughs> Hellums, uh, uh-huh. I mean, goes to Peach Jam with, to my knowledge, an offer from the old Indiana staff, which mm-hmm. hadn't necessarily been renewed, and then kind of a, a small handful of, of like mid-majors and I mean, he was as good as anybody for for four days down in North Augusta. And, Coach, I don't know. I can't remember a local guy going from – I mean, hey, there have been local guys who have been stars at that tournament, but maybe right. not one that was as unexpected to the outside world as Jericho Hellams was last week. I think I think through four games it was like 28.5 points a game. I mean, first off, mm-hmm. did that surprise you at all? And second, how's he handled the last 10 days or so? Well, um, he's handling it well because you know what? It, it's easily for a kid to get that type of uh, recognition and, and people following him like that. He's been very humble. And like I said, he's in the gym right now. He was in the gym the very next day um, preparing for, you know, the next trip. He still wants to, He wants to learn how to close games now. And that's, you know, some stuff that we talked about. But I, I – Saw him during his high school year. He came out. He went on a tear during his high school year. So this is nothing new, but we wanted to see it on the circuit. He struggled a little bit in the in the spring with getting off because he was playing the wing a little bit, and then we got him back to playing his more of a natural position um, throughout July, where he's playing the stretch four and more of a point forward, where he can make plays out the four, where he can make passes or score shots for himself. So we got him back in the sweet spots, and man, he I. I I'm, nobody can take credit for what he has done but himself. I wouldn't be sitting here even saying that I had anything to do with it. That was all on his shoulders, man. That kid came out, and he went on a tear, and, you know, we followed. And the type of team he had supporting him was like, hey, we're going to ride this thing with him. So, you know, it, it was, man, it was crazy to see. Nobody's ever yeah. done that before. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's the first time for everything, and, and he's one of the first ones to go in with nothing pretty much nothing going in to come out with that. That is amazing. Yeah, I think the count is 17 offers since then. And what position mm-hmm. does he fit at in college? I mean, he seems like maybe kind of a 2-3 a type guy, even though he said you said for you he plays kind of a point four. Uh, where do you think mm-hmm. he fits in on a college team? I, I think every coach that's, that's recruiting him right now is all saying the four with transition to the three maybe by his third year. So everybody's still saying the four spot because of size and the power that he has within the game, um, he's a matchup problem because he's playing the four. You, you can't really guard him with a post guy, you know, because he has some guard skills. Um, you can't put a guard on because he has some post skills. So he's a tweener in that position. Um, until he develops into the two, three right now, I think everybody's looking at him as more of a four. And he's even, you know, really say, hey, you know, I'm playing a stretch four right now. Hey, Coach, uh You've been in the St. Louis basketball scene for for quite a while. We won't we won't age you on here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I, I've I've been, I've really embraced it now, so I'm not afraid to say I am 41 now officially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Conzo uh, Martin's a name. He's from the uh, St. Louis area, from East St. Louis. Him coming back, being at Missouri. What what kind of 
impact has that made? And it hasn't been very long yet, but have you noticed a, a change in um, the look, how people are looking at Missouri um, and, and the job that Constant Martin's doing recruiting the St. Louis area? I think when when he took over, uh, it, it immediately brought attention to Mizzou um, because of the simple fact of who he is and what he's done elsewhere. So right away, people were, were expecting, okay, you know, sitting on the edge of the seat, what kind of moves is he going to make? Who is he going to get? And he came in and went to work right away. So, you know, that says a lot about who he is um, and his impact that he's probably going to have. Well, he's had a, a great impact already on the state. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how he's going to keep this thing moving. Coach, uh, I want to talk about a couple of your other players. Uh, I, I watched you guys play up in Indianapolis at the beginning of the uh, summer and then then obviously last week at Peach Jam. For my money, uh, Darius Garland's about as good a player as I've seen on this circuit. I mean, I know he's got coast-to-coast attention. Just maybe for mm-hmm. some people listening to this that, that don't know quite as much about Darius because he's probably hasn't been tied to Missouri as much as some other schools. Can you tell us about him as a player? Oh, man, he – is special. Um, you're not going to find a point guard coast to coast that, that can do what he do, changing speeds. Um, you probably have to revert back to, man, I, I can't even think of a player that I can even compare him with, with his quickness. And when you think he's reached his max speed and, and being quick, he, he goes to a whole nother level um, of turning thing up. Kid, it can flat out shoot. It can run your team. He can pass it. Um, he, he is a, a problem offensively. He's hard to guard because he's so fast. And he's not a small kid. He's legitimately standing at six one six two. So he's not a, a little bitty point guard at all. He, he might be slim, but his athleticism also you have to factor that in too. So that, that kid has got a chance to make million, the, the money that they're throwing away to players right now. <laughs> I see him doing that in the next five years. I think he's going to get one of those big contracts in the next five years. EJ Liddell is another guy – on the Bradley Beal Elite that you've been, you're coaching, um, Missouri's in on him. I know they've offered a lot of schools are in on him. Kind of tell us what kind of player he is. I know he, uh, he plays power forward, I think, maybe center, um, mm-hmm. bigger guy. Just what he brings to the table and, and uh, just kind of your experience of coaching him. Um, been, a, been a pleasure, man. Kick and flat out shoot anything from 12 to 15 foot. So he's, I think he's going to be one of those in that stretch for uh, conversation that's what, you know, with Jericho this year. He's going to be one of those kids that we're going to look at next year um, because he's a 19 mm-hmm. kid to be able to stretch the floor because he can flat out shoot it. We let him shoot the three at the top of the key. He hits it um, majority of the time and free throw in. Power forward guy who's transitioning also um, to more of a stretch kid. Super athletic, and he is a rim protector. He was averaging about three blocks a game, um, his stretch with us when we first moved him up from 16U. So the kid, the kid's upside is crazy because of his life and his wingspan is probably right at seven feet so there you go i mean and he jumps out the gym super athletic talking with Corey frazier head coach of bradley beal elite and you talked a little bit about next year so i I mean you not only got ej coming back but your 16u team mario mckinney yuri collins are a couple names familiar to uh to missouri fans uh you know how'd those guys uh how'd that team play this summer and are you excited about next year for bradley beal um, they, they all play very, very well. Yuri is a traditional point guard. Any, any guy who loves point guards will love the heck out of Yuri Collins, man, because he gets everybody involved before he even thinks about taking a shot and he can pass the heck out of that ball. I think he's probably hit more guys <laughs> upside the head with his passes, um, than they've caught, but he is on the money. 
um, with, with, in terms of point guard. He's one of those elite-level point guards. Just got to continue to grow in the game. Once he gets his shot down, man, you're, you're, you're talking about a kid that can be really special as well. Mario McKinney, man, athletic, mm-hmm. plays above the rim. He's finally getting his three ball together where he can shoot it consistently. Can't stay in front of him, and he's a dog on defense. I mean, he works his butt off defensively. He comes from Vashon High School, so everybody knows the history of them and what they have done, you know, in, in terms of state championship. But to see that carry over into um, what he's doing in the spring and on the national scene, it says a lot about, you know, what this kid is going to be. So that, that backcourt is going to be something to come watch in the next year or so because they play very well together. Um, as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to coaching them all next year. And Mario's got some decent bloodlines that people here in Columbia are familiar yeah. with. We, uh, oh, yeah. Jimmy McKinney. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, a, he's still pretty legendary in St. Louis high school circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a couple more for you on the way out the door, Coach. Uh, first off, and I want to give you some credit here, because being an AAU coach, I mean, you're already getting these kids from all over the place. Most of them uh, are playing different schools, but your team, I mean, Nobody knew for a long time where Cartier Gordon was going to play. Then you guys start the summer with James Wiseman, and then then he ended mm-hmm. up uh, moving to a different team. I mean, was this a challenge for you at all, just all the moving parts on your team before it finally kind of got settled in on what your roster mm-hmm. and your rotation would be? Um, it, it's like that every year. It is, it's nothing new for us uh, to have that because you, you find situations where it may not be a good fit for a kid. Um, it, it may be – you know, they want more playing time. Who knows what factors into mm-hmm. it. What I have to do as a coach is, is never take it personal um, and try to deal with what pieces we have um, that's, that's present. And, you know, when, when those things come and go, losing James was a huge hit, but it opened the door for a kid like E.J. Liddell. Uh, Francis Acuro, who was another uh, 16U kid who was playing up, 16 kid out of Bloomington, mm-hmm. Illinois, it opened the door for him to really emerge and, you know, it worked out great for us. Not, and it's nothing against James or nothing against Cartier. It's just that what we were doing, it was going to happen with or without them. It would have been even better if we had them, let me say that. But, you know, it it just didn't happen. And, you know, we're blessed and fortunate enough to still be uh, amongst the elite in the EYBL. And that says a lot about my staff that I have with me. I have, you know, guys like Jahadi White on my staff, Erwin uh, Claggett on my staff. So, you know, I have good guys that, that can coach the game as well, but those kids bought in. At the end of the day, they bought in and they picked up the slack. It was like, you know what, we're going to go with what we got and we're going we gonna to play it to our fullest, and it worked out for us. I want to finish you up with just a couple big picture things. For for people who may not understand, can you explain kind of, uh, you know, I mean, it, Pete Sham, for those people that don't know, I mean, I saw Shaq there, his son plays. Kevin Durant's mm-hmm. down there. He's very involved. Uh, Chris mm-hmm. Paul has a team. Can you explain, and I believe Brad Beal was there at least yeah, for he, some he of was, the Yeah, he's been with me for the last, Brad Beal has been with us on the staff, on the bench for the last <laughs> two events. So he is okay. very, very much involved. Actually, we just finished texting this morning about getting ready for Vegas next week. So he's very much involved. He's going to actually make his coaching debut uh, in Vegas at the 8th. So wow. uh, that's, that's uh, eight NBA players are going to coach their teams there. So I get to be an assistant for once. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Can you explain um, kind of to fans what, like what Brad mm-hmm. does for your program? And, and obviously, I mean, you know, he, he finances a lot of stuff for you since his name's on it. But just kind of explain for the un, uninitiated to AAU basketball what he mm-hmm. does. Um, he's very hands-on. And, and this is part of his giving back um, to, to the program that helped him and get him on that national scene. He's hands-on with the kids. He's involved. He went to almost every single game that was being played 
uh, over the weekend, sat on the coach's bench helping the coaches. He's helping the players. He's bringing them water, whatever it needs to be done. He's just giving back, man. And, and that's, a, that's a blessing in itself that you have players that don't just give money. Um, they actually come back and stay heavily involved with it. And he, he talks to them. And, and by him still being a player himself right now, they look up to him. That's big brother to all these kids. So to have him there and have him involved with the program that he put his name on is huge. And a lot of guys, you know, give money to their programs and they don't even come do anything with them. They just give them the money and they go. But he's heavily involved with the kids. And, he, and he'll be around again this weekend and next weekend when we're at Vegas. So, uh, last thing then, and, and anytime I talk to an AAU coach, I kind of want to give them this platform too. We hear a lot of negative things about AAU basketball and how it's mm-hmm. ruined the game and, and how dirty it is, whatever. You, you've you heard all the arguments too. So I want to give mm-hmm. you kind of the opportunity to tell people it, what are the positives of it? Why, why are you involved and how do you think it helps these kids? Well, for first and foremost, I played for the St. Louis Eagles um, – coming up from Charleston, Missouri. Um, and my uncle Ricky Frazier was the first one that told me, you're going to play AAU. And I was very comfortable just sitting in Charleston playing at the court all day or all evening or whatever it was. But uh, Ricky was like, you're going to play. I didn't understand why, but by my second tournament, I figured out when I saw all these coaches sitting on the sideline, the exposure is second to none. Um, and and the playing in the EYBL and playing at the Peace Jam, it's unmatched because you, you get a chance to play against the best players in the country, but you also get recruited and get seen by every coach in the country. So um, for me, being a high school coach, coaching here in St. Louis for 16 years and then coaching AAU for eight years, I get the best of both worlds. Um, there's no negative in it. There's, there are some times where, you know, people cross the line and do some things. That's not what, what our program is about. Um, we're strictly here to help the kids and help them reach their, their goals and potential. And we also provide that platform where they won't get it every single day in high school. Because if you're not a, a top high school program and you don't have a top player, coaches are not coming to your door to see your kids. I don't care how good they are. Mm-hmm. You have to find and provide another platform for them to be seen. And that's what I think AAU provides for, um, especially for us, it provides an opportunity for kids to get seen that they normally wouldn't get. So, you know, if you got a top player or even a kid that's, that's pretty good, get them, in that, get them in a good program, find out about the program, do research on the program, and let them go play and let them be seen, um, you know, nationally because it only brings attention back to your school. That's it. There are some decent Frasers down there in Charleston, Missouri. Who wins the one-on-one oh, yeah. tournaments at the family reunion? <laughs> I wouldn't even sit here and lie and say I did, but Ricky Ricky <laughs> is still the man. So there's a lot of hard fouls, I can tell you that. Lamont, Lamont does not play when he fouls people. He tried to break your hand or something. So Lamont hard was fouls, the man. greatest player to ever watch on defense when he was at Missouri. Uh, it was just, give me the best guy, and I'm going to beat the ever-loving hell out of him for about oh, 38 and he minutes. He will do it viciously. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Coach, really appreciate Appreciate your time, man. Congratulations on, on a great summer, and uh, find some time to enjoy Vegas, even though the kids can't go with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Like I said, this is my first time being an assistant coach, and I'm excited to let Brad run the reins on this. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right, Coach. We'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, Coach. All right. See you later. Corey Frazier, head coach of Bradley Beal Elite. And, uh, Brian, I mean, I, that team, they played really well down there. But – it just the recurring thought I have anytime we're talking about this AAU basketball, when you see what Mo Can has and you see what Bradley Beal Elite has, this is like Conzo Martin doesn't have to go anywhere else to field a top twenty-five program. Yeah, and then Casey Run GMC or whatever yeah, they call themselves yeah. now is a pretty good program in the Under Armour circuit. There, there's basketball players all over this region right now. I, I don't know if it's just because everything's more visible now the way. 
access is just so easy for mm-hmm. all this stuff or or if i mean it's just kind of like football maybe and there's more it, players are just for whatever reason the, the cycle's up right now in missouri and football and basketball and the in-state university needs to hopefully take advantage of it yeah i mean it, it definitely runs in cycles and this is a high cycle but even when you look over i i go back starting with tyler hansborough in about oh four and mm-hmm. i mean you could make an all-star, a college all-star team of just the kids from Missouri that right. didn't go to Missouri. Right? Yeah, it's you know. if you're if you're a Missouri fan, that's not something you really want to think about, probably. <laughs> right. But yeah, no, you definitely yeah. could. Ben McLemore. I, uh, I mean, there's yeah. a long Brad, list. Brad Beal, BJ Young. I, I actually put together a list and tweeted it out a couple weeks ago. It wasn't one of my more popular <laughs> tweets. So anyway, uh, thanks to Corey Fraser for joining us, and uh, now we're going to move on and talk a little SEC football. Camp opens for pretty much everybody here in about a week and a half. And, uh, hey, what better way to start talking about the SEC football season than (laughs) as the world turns in Oxford, Mississippi? Talking to Neil McCready from uh, Rebel Grove, the rival site that covers Ole Miss. And, Neil, Brian and I are happy to have passed the torch from Columbia to Oxford of let's just talk about crazy stuff that has nothing to do with football every day. Well, that is us. Uh, as you guys can probably relate better than most, we get the everyday, can you please just talk about football? And the answer is no. Right. Uh, that would be irresponsible on our parts. And quite frankly, uh, football is secondary, at least for a while. I mean, that frustrates the hell out of the hardcore fan, as you guys can relate. But um, it kind of is what it is because look, what happens Probably in what happens in Indianapolis is going to have a lot more impact over the future of this program than what happens in Tuscaloosa or Auburn or in Oxford, even uh, in, in football games. It's it's what happens in Indianapolis is going to shape a lot of futures. So let me run through the 30,000 foot view and you tell me if I've kind of got the parameters. Obviously, Ole Miss has been under NCAA investigation for like, I don't know. 27 years now, it seems like. Uh, that continues to drag on. In the meantime, Houston Nutt uh, files a defamation of character lawsuit against uh, Hugh Freeze and Ross Bjork. Hugh Freeze has to talk about that the next day at SEC Media Days, which he didn't much talk about. Ole Miss has already banned themselves from a bowl game, and they are picked uh, last in the SEC West. Did I pretty much hit on all the high points? Yeah, you pretty much covered it. Uh, it should be noted that, that the timing of the release of Houston Nuts' um, lawsuit was strictly coincidental. <laughs> right, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he had no idea SEC Media Days was the next day, right? No, but how could he have known that Hugh Freeze was going the next morning? Um, <laughs> it's been a soap opera, man. Uh, yeah, that about covers it. I mean, they've been under investigation for five years. It is. It is now... Jeez. Literally in the fifth year that the school has been under probation, it under under NCAA investigation. The football investigation has been going on for uh, more than four years. Uh, they've already had their two NOAs. They like to call it an amended NOA, but the second NOA is a complete different set of charges. So I call it two NOAs. Mm-hmm. Um, they've answered both of them. Uh, one fairly passively, one very aggressively. Um, they have self uh, self penalized a bowl ban, which to me was a mistake um, because they gave away a card. I wouldn't have given the card away. I would have held that card in my pocket until I had to use it. 
Uh, they're going to get scholarship reductions. Uh, there's a decent chance there's going to be suspensions. Uh, almost certainly will be some show causes. Whether one of those show causes is on Hugh Freeze or not remains to be seen. They've been charged with failure to monitor, being specifically referring to Freeze, and lack of institutional control as an inst- as an institution. Um, and there is there is a lot there, and um, and one of the the star witnesses against them, if you will, is the starting middle linebacker at middle <laughs> at uh, Mississippi State, who Ole Miss recruited and did not get, and who claims in his uh, immunity interviews that he. Uh, got money from uh, multiple schools. So it stands to reason that if the NCAA stands by Leo Lewis as a witness, that it is faced with the real quandary at that point. He has immunity. The schools that recruited him do not. Conceivably, that could include the school that signed him because I don't know how you, if you, you guys. You don't think agree just with- out of the goodness of his heart he went to Mississippi State for free? Uh, I would be willing to bet my children's lives that he didn't. <laughs> so um, that's a problem for the NCAA because yeah. if you stand by him, seriously, this is a real problem. And you you know where I'm coming from on this game. I am anti-NCAA and have been for a long time. I think the kids should get paid. I think the Power 5 schools should break away. I think the whole Title IX thing, I think there's a way around all of it. Just do it. Quit Quit this this. I can't stand the true believers and the people that go, well, what I love about college football is it's pure and it's amateur. Stop, right. stop. I hate <laughs> right. those I hate those people. I want to reach it through that strangle them. If you are the NCAA and you stand by Leo Lewis's testimony, then you have to, at the conclusion of the Ole Miss case, launch an investigation into Mississippi State, into LSU, and maybe one other school. And that's the problem they have. And I firmly believe they're going to stand by Leo Lewis's testimony. Um, Whether the Committee on Infractions does or not remains to be seen. But if they do, then you have have said as as an entity that this kid is telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth, I think you are somewhat mandated to investigate. And this is where the league has failed. This is where Ole Miss has failed. This is where so much failure is here. The whole procedure is flawed. Everything in this process is flawed. You guys dealt with it with Missouri and basketball. There, there's, there's got to be a better way. Mm-hmm. Neil, I don't. I'm. Is there any sense of when this thing is going to wrap up? Is there any idea out there? Have they? I mean, yeah, yeah. So, so Ole Miss responded to the second NOA two months ago. So today's the 20th. I think somewhere in the next five days, um, the NCAA's response to Ole Miss's response is due. Okay. And so assuming that, and I, this, is, this is a pretty educated assumption, that the NCAA says, yeah, we got your response. We read it. We think you're full of crap. We're sticking with everything in the second NOA. At that point, there's nothing more to talk about until they go in front of the committee. So it's as simple as setting up a – getting everybody in the same place for a hearing. You could do that as early as next month. The rumor, and it is really rumor right now, is that it will be done during Ole Miss's open day. Ole Miss plays Cal on, it was like September the 16th or something. And then uh, they don't play again for two weeks when they go to, to Alabama. So um, there, there's an open date there that would make sense to do it in September. 
And then once you have the hearing, uh, typically it's six to eight weeks when the final verdict comes down. So, yeah, I mean, we're barring some sort of a really unexpected delay that I don't even know how you would justify at this point. This is going to get done, and there's going to be some finality to at least this this phase of it by the end of October, 1st of November, maybe earlier than that. So this is this has all of the makings of a bomb dropping in the middle of a football season. All right, one more on this, Neil, and then I promise we'll ask you a couple about actual football. But um, okay. and, and I don't want to ask you to predict anything because I hate that, but I, there is real danger – whether Hugh Freeze and Ross Bjork remain in Oxford, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, fans get mad at that, but yes. Um, so let's just play it out, and let's say that the NCAA says, nope, you know, we're sticking with our charges, and the Committee on Infractions, which it normally does, essentially rules in favor of the Committee on Infractions. And they say, nope, you're going to get hit with this and this and this. Well, if you get hit with failure to monitor and lack of institutional control. I don't, I don't know that Ross Bjork, I don't know whether this is fair or not, because I don't know that this passive approach that Ole Miss took was his idea, honestly, but he's going to get blamed for it because he's the AD. I don't know that he can then effectively raise money as an athletics director. Ross, a great guy. He was terrific at his job. Him being a victim here is the most unfair thing that could happen, but life's not fair. And then as for Freeze, Ole Miss has, with zero uh, deviance from this, they have stood by him. They have said, this is our guy. He's our guy. We're going to ride him. But, fellas, if you get hit with a show cause or you get hit with, say, an eight-game or one-year suspension, I just don't know that from a coaching standpoint, you can recover from that. I don't know that you can recruit after that. I, I don't. I don't know that you can. So there's a lot of question marks here as to whether those guys are, are long-term fixtures in Oxford. They're, they're going to have to. It's it's possible, but to get there, they're going to have to thread a needle a little bit. That that can be hard to do. Rivals covers recruiting, and obviously, and just. From what what you guys have been doing, what you the kids you've been talking to, how much is this playing into them? Or I know sometimes these teenagers kind of just don't pay any attention to anything that's going on around them, and they're so focused on hearing from coaches and what schools love them and whatnot. Is it yeah. playing out that much right now with them that you guys are getting a sense of? Well, it devastated the last recruiting class; just destroyed it. Um, they would have. They were on pace. Had none of that happened, just with the way you know how recruiting goes. A couple of years out, you get a feel for. You know, this has mm-hmm. the makings of a special class. That had the makings of a special class two years out, and then when the NCAA stuff really, when the when the bombs kind of went off, it, it, the, the whole class completely fell apart. This class, they, they've got a lot of three star kind of players. They're probably okay with this class. I mean, assuming that it's not just devastating, but it is preventing them from from competing with from a recruiting standpoint with the Alabamas and Auburns and LSUs of the of the SEC. They're 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 not recruiting the same kind of player right now. They're trying, but they've had to be a lot more smart, a lot more resourceful, um smarter, not more smart. Um, <laughs> they they they're having to do 
they're having to recruit in a way that I don't think they want to recruit. Because here's the thing. People can talk about uh, Freeze has a different way. And I get irritated with Ole Miss people. And like, you know, he, he has a different offense and stuff. No, look, when Ole Miss won the Sugar Bowl and was a contender a few years ago, they did it with an elite quarterback. They did it with a, a special left tackle. They had NFL talent on their offensive line. They had two first-round wide receivers in Laquan Treadwell and Evan Ingram. Um, and then defensively, they, they had Robert Kimbeach, who was a first-round talent. Mm-hmm. They had some they, they had they had elite talent. You guys know this. When, mm-hmm. To get to the to get to the high levels of this league, you don't do it with gimmicks, and you don't do it with recruiting in a different way or having a different kind. Of, that's all crap. You do it with NFL caliber players at key positions, and that's how you win. And they, that's how they won. And right now, I don't know that they're recruiting that same kid anymore. All right, so all those guys you just mentioned obviously are no longer on campus, and Ole Miss was picked seventh in the SEC West. Uh, so kind of two-part question. A, is that kind of where – I mean, do you see them being the worst team in that division? And B, how much – this plays into these kids have nothing to play for at the end of the year. Like they can go, right. you know, I know that Terry Bowden got an Auburn team to go 12 and 0 when they were playing for nothing, but that's the exception. I mean, most of these kids are going to go, I don't know, man, we just have these 12 games and there's no promise of another one. Uh, I'm going to go play for myself and try to get myself in the draft. I mean, I, I think that's human nature. It is human nature. Um, there's a lot of people that talk about how, you know, it's, it makes the, the 12 opportunities more special and crap like that. And I hear stuff like that. I'm like, man, I don't know. That That's not the way it works. You're conditioned as an athlete when you play football. From the moment you put on a high school uniform, everything is about what? Winning a state championship. Mm-hmm. Whether you're in Mississippi or Missouri or Minnesota, it's about getting to the state championship. It's about winning your district, your region, your whatever they call it winning the rivalry game to get to the championship and then advancing in the playoffs. Well, this team doesn't get to go to the playoffs. This team doesn't get to go to the tournament. It doesn't get to play for a championship. That's a, that's a carrot. That's a big carrot that gets taken away. Um, the question I have about this team is what happens when adversity hits? What happens when you lose a game or two? And they have a really difficult early schedule. They get South Alabama at home. Game they should win. Scary. They should win. They'll they'll beat uh, UT Martin, and then they go to Cal. It's as much of a coin toss game on paper as you'll find in the country. I mean, it is it is truly somewhere between Ole Miss's chances of winning that game are somewhere between forty eight and fifty three percent. What if you lose? Now you have two weeks. One of those weeks conceivably includes all the NCAA stuff. And then you got to go to Alabama and to Auburn. Ouch. Well, they're probably not, they're probably not winning at Alabama and Auburn. Right. So you come home from that swing two and three in this scenario. You're telling me those same kids are all locked in right now? Mm-hmm. It's difficult for me to imagine. And then you get Vanderbilt at home. Ole Miss struggles with Vanderbilt, even in good years. And then you have LSU and Arkansas at Kentucky. I mean, there's a scenario for the thing just falling apart that is more realistic than a scenario for them going on a roll. Because even on a roll, they're 3-0 and when they go to Alabama. You lose to Alabama. You lose to Auburn. Maybe you beat Vanderbilt, so you're 4-2. and 
when LSU and Arkansas come to town. And in that scenario, maybe you start getting motivated to play the role of spoiler. Maybe the NCAA news comes down and it's not as bad as we all think it perhaps could be. And that's a, a, a lift and you get kind of an emotional high. But it, there's a lot of a lot more iffiness there than there is in the other scenario. They're a, they're a talented team at quarterback. Patterson's the real deal. He's very good. They have a, a lot of talented wide receivers. I think they're going to be able to put some big plays together. They're going to be able to be um, explosive at times on the offensive end. They're, they're good enough up front to, to protect him. Um, there, there are real question marks at running back. They have been for a while. They do get Jordan Wilkins back this year. He is at least a somewhat reliable player. Defensively, a year ago, they were abysmal. Um, I think they'll be better. But will they be better enough better to really matter? That's, that's iffy. I think they're okay on the defensive front. Lots of question marks at linebacker. Um, I think they have a chance to be solid at corner. A lot of questions at safety. They'll punt the ball well. They'll kick the ball well. There's questions in the return game. So the, the, the talent's there to be a six, seven-win team. It's just whether you believe this NCAA thing is, and, and the bowl ban and all that is going to be a detriment or you think it will be a non-factor. Ole Miss always, they seem to have a, a, a great fan base, good following, all that. Do you see this this fan base more rallying around this team, getting behind it, or are they going to kind of – are they distra- like – upset with what's happening and, and going to kind of give up on them. Well, you know how that's, you guys covered Missouri basketball. Yeah, for we got the some last experience years. there. You, you know, you're, you're an authority on this. I mean, <laughs> it's one thing to say as a fan base, hey, we're going to rally around these guys. It's another thing as a fan base when the season falls apart to get up in November and go, yeah, let's, let's load the kids in the car and let's yeah. drive six hours to Oxford and let's spend all this money. That That's – that's not as realistic. Season tickets are down. Not a bunch, but some. Uh, fan interest is down. Not a lot, but it's noticeable. Mm-hmm. There's no buzz. Um, I think they'll be okay from a fan standpoint if they get off to a hot start and they play really, really hard. and Fans rally around that. But um, there are a few losses away from the fans checking out a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right, last one for you, Neil. I intentionally saved this for the end because the majority of our listeners would identify themselves as St. Louis Cardinals fans. Um, You are fans of uh, another team that they like less, so I'm going to be as kind as I can. And Gabe's wearing their hat right now. I am actually wearing a hat I bought at Wrigley Field while doing this podcast. Um, Why are they not very good? The Cubs? Yeah. Well, I, I, I do think there was a World Series hangover. I do think that's a real thing. Your, uh, your offseason is different when you win a championship. Yes. Uh, everyone wants a piece of you nationally at first, and then you get home and your family wants a different piece of you. I, I do think you lose some focus. I think they have missed Dexter Fowler uh, on and off the field. I think they've missed David Ross as a leader. Their pitching until recently was was pretty sporadic. Now, these last six games, and I saw a couple of them. I was in Baltimore uh, Saturday and Sunday. They have swung the bats the last week, kind of like they did most of last season. 
their pitching seems to be, I mean, it's a really small sample size, but just this last six games, they've pitched it a lot better. They're only a game and a half out, depending on what happens with Milwaukee today against Pittsburgh. So it's conceivable at the end of the day, they're just a game out of first. And, and um, you know, the Quintana trade down the road might end up being a bad trade. But for right now, it's a great trade. And <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, it's, I'm not ready to cash in all of my chips. Yesterday when Chris Bryant got hurt, I was like, well, that's that. But turns out that, that uh, he's okay. I still think they can make a run. I don't. I, th- I think they could beat the Nationals in a series. I think they could beat any of the potential wild card teams in a series. But I don't know that right now anyone in baseball can match up with what the Dodgers are doing. Yeah. So I don't I, know that at the end of the day it's going to matter. I saw them in person a couple weeks ago. They are going to finish the season one thirty two and twenty nine. <laughs> they are never losing again. And. Uh, <laughs> Just from someone who went through the same thing you did just a year early, here's my advice. Just put on the World Series film, enjoy that, and give (laughs) thanks you play in either the crappiest or the second crappiest division in Major League Baseball, which is what I do every morning when I wake up. I do it every day, man. I I wake (laughs) up and I'm like, like, man, the Cardinals are are bad, the the Pirates are bad, the Brewers are, are, are above average, but still not a great team. The Reds are, are in year 406 of a rebuild, <laughs> and, uh, and and 2016 can't be taken away. I have three or four videos that I keep on my phone at all times, and uh, whenever I kind of have a down moment, I watch them, and uh, I still get a little emotional at times about it. It, it was uh, it was good, and this season has all has uh, one of my very best friends is a Red Sox fan. He told me last year when the when the, when the Cubs won the World Series, he said congratulations, and I was like, yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks. He goes, no, no, now you get to enjoy baseball. Right, you'll appreciate other teams. All of the dread is gone. You'll you, you'll handle losses better. You might actually savor wins more. And I was like, there's no way. And, <laughs> yep, he's right. He's absolutely <laughs> right. The losses don't kill me. I actually enjoy the wins now when they come, and I appreciate other teams. I mean, now I used to, like, you know, I hated a lot of teams, and now I just hate the Cardinals. That's it. (laughs) Give it a year. I hate all other teams. The Royals and Cubs are both going to finish 73-89. and They're going to win god-awful divisions, and I'll see you in the World Series, (laughs) Neil. Man, I would love a Cubs-Royals series. I've always had a little soft spot for the Royals. I'll tell you the story. When I was a kid, I grew up in Ruston, Louisiana. And my favorite player as a little boy was George Brett. And the only place that we could go see him was in Arlington because it was like four hours from home. And so I would go see the Royals all the time. And even though I I just – it was easier to be a Cubs fan because you got WGN. And we didn't get any any team in Louisiana. There was no – we didn't have like a regional deal or a local deal where we could watch the Cardinals or whoever every day. And so you – it was basically Cubs or Braves by about the time I was 11 years old. And so I cheered for the Cubs. It was just, I, I liked them. But I've always had a soft spot for the Royals because of George Brett and, and uh, Amos Otis and Hal McRae and, and uh, Freddie Patek. I used to love Freddie Patek when I was a kid. <laughs> and so I, I've always kind of had a little soft spot for the Royals. So a, a Cubs-Royals World Series for me personally would be really cool. Well, anyone that Brian and I didn't drive away through 35 <laughs> minutes of rambling has now turned this podcast off and vowed never to listen again after Neil and I talking about a Cubs-Royals World Series. So uh, <laughs> thanks, man, and we'll talk to you down the road. Hey, as long as it's not a as long as it's not a Cardinals in anybody World Series, I'm okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Neil. Have a All good right, one. Man, be good. Yeah, Neil. Bye.
So, uh, yeah, well, there were, that sound you heard was all our listeners just going away. But <laughs> And, hey, they can't even blame me this time. Cards fans are a little sensitive sometimes, and I'm a Cards <laughs> fan. They're just, but they're, would your, would your dad say? <laughs> no, no, we're not going there. This podcast is over. We are done. Um, I, I'm going to prepare, Brian. Next week, we are going to give our SEC kind of predictions, so spend the two and a half minutes before the next drive, week's podcast. The drive up. <laughs> yeah, figuring out where every team is going to finish in the SEC. We're going to do that. But that, thanks to, on a serious note, Neil McCready and the guys at Rebel Grove, like those guys do it right. They have covered great, some great absolute site. crap the last three years. Brian and I know a lot about covering absolute <laughs> crap. And look, you can't – it is very see-through if you are a homer who – is oh everybody's out to get Ole Miss. Neil and his side have covered this very well, and they have they have taken some bullets from Ole Miss fans for doing it, but they've done a great job. Um, and thanks to Corey Frazier, that that was a fun conversation. Enjoyed Coach Frazier. Yeah, too. Coach Frazier's a great guy. So, I don't know if uh, do you want to touch on Night at the Zoo at all. Oh yeah, Night at the Zoo Friday night. I kind of forgot that. <laughs> Tomorrow night <laughs> we've we've got what twenty four, twenty five names right. Yeah, now. right around there. It's in flux of height. There's bit. going to be more guys in that. Obviously, these are the yeah. guys that Missouri's really focused on. There's going to be some other guys that come out that are working to impress the coaches. And maybe some and that, that we might. just don't know about yet. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, but it, it's a good group of guys. That, I mean, obviously, the headline is the Alabama crew. Um, Alfred Thomas confirmed with me he's going to be up. Cam said. He, he knew Tank was going to be with him, and if that's happening, then getting James Foster, James to be is going to be there. Is yeah, a big deal. and uh, hey, let's not rule out. There's what about 30 hours before that camp starts? Who knows? Uh, oh yeah, be, there's still guys some, that could change their mind and, and decide to and come. Could be some good news on the recruiting trail before that. Oh yeah, that too. too. Yeah, who knows? You so, never know. Uh, but I, I, somebody on our board asked this question, and we'll finish with this: over under on commitments between when we're recording this and let's say Sunday, to give kids kind of a chance to get back home on commitments. Sunday we, night. Yeah, right. we'll, we'll set it at four and a half. You going over or under? Mm. I'd probably go under right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would go over within a week of camp, but I'm right. not sure if we get over by Sunday night. Right, yeah. If we were stretching it out to maybe even just Tuesday or something like yeah. that, I would probably go over. But Sunday night, I would say – Three or four would be the number I would guess. is. And one more. The best thing that could happen at this camp for Missouri, and I don't expect it to happen by any means. But Everyone th- commits? This whole, well, everyone commits, <laughs> yeah. But this whole Tiger 10, this whole in-state thing was all built on, let's get some buzz going. And what it really needed was one guy to say, mm-hmm. I don't need to go through this process. Right. I'm ready now. And that didn't happen. The best thing that could happen for Missouri is somehow Ronnie Perkins or Michael Thompson just says, right. I'm good, man. Yeah. I don't need to see the rest of this. We don't think that's going to happen, Not but that would be the best thing that would to be, happen. That would be the best thing. I mean, just to jumpstart it, and then you know, once that happens, maybe somebody's going to want right. to join them most likely. Somebody play with their friends. Right. And, yeah. But – I don't know. (laughs) We're not expecting that, but we do expect good news in the next two, three days for Missouri recruiting fans. So follow that. I think, look, we hit that. We hit SEC football. We hit AAU basketball. We we went a little longer than normal, but uh, hopefully you guys made it through. By the, the time we do talk. this again, this fall camp will be started, right? It starts. Uh, no, no, no that's the week after. We have one more before uh, fall right. camp starts. But, yeah, we are – look, slow period is over, and 
we are ready to go, at least until Missouri loses a game and we have to get on the message board. So <laughs> we'll uh, talk to you guys there for uh, Brian. Thanks again to Neil McCready and to Corey Fraser. We'll talk to you next week.